here. John 19.30 says, He, that is Jesus, said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up, his, uh, gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. Luke 24 verse 5 says, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Father God, as we come to look at the topic for today and as we come around your scripture, I pray you will speak to us this morning. Thank you for ministering to us in the worship. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for stirring our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you've touched us this morning already. Thank you for the truths that we've declared in the songs that we have sung. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for meeting us. Now, Lord, come as we look at what is a difficult subject. I pray that you will give us grace. I pray that you'll give us open hearts, open ears to you. And I pray that you will pour your spirit out upon us and keep us listening for what you're saying into, our, into the very depths of who we are, Lord. I pray that in your name. Amen. Today's topic, yet again, is, um, well, it's like so many sermons that we've had through this year. The topic, hill climbing for beginners. John, whose idea was that? Who can we blame for that? <laughs> oh, was it yours? That has been, I believe it's been quite a challenging topic for the year that we have gone through. And like so many of the sermons that we've preached through in this series, you stand here and you just think, oh my goodness, there's so much more. There's so much more that could be said. There's so much more that I can say. I just cannot say it in this. And one of the things, one of the things when somebody begins to preach, when they start preaching in the early days, the big problem they have is knowing what to leave out, knowing what not to say, more than being, everybody worries, they're never going to have enough to say. They think, oh, I'll never have enough to say. And so you pour it all out, you pour it all out, and there's so much goes into your prep. But actually, when you stand to speak, the time flies by. And especially if the Holy Spirit is touching your heart, it just seems like there isn't enough space. There isn't enough time to say all that you want to. So yet again, as in so many of these sermons, Hill Climbing for Beginners, justice cannot be done this morning to the topic that I have. All that we can do this morning really is to just scratch the surface, to hear God's inspiration and encouragement to go deeper. This morning, my plan is to bring hope. My plan is to, to really just stir you to go and look further, to, to, to look more. And to understand, to go deeper, to allow God to equip us and to grow us. At the start of this year, I felt the Lord saying very clearly when we, when, when we, when we agreed that topic for the year, I felt the Lord put in my heart this, this real sense. And, and I think I said it at the beginning and I may have said it once or twice through the period of time. But that God wants to grow us here in Harefield, this part of his body, this expression of his bride, his church here, in Harlow, he wants to grow us so that we are a significant people. I am not just talking about numbers. I'm not just talking about getting so many people come, hundreds of people coming in, hundreds of people coming to this place, getting so full that we can't do church here anymore and we have to go and find some industrial building somewhere where we can actually start growing and, and filling. I am not ruling that out. 
But that isn't what I felt was what the, the thrust of what God put on my heart. I felt God was telling me that he wanted to grow us to be a significant people because we are a people of faith. We are a people of maturity. We're a people who expect God to do things. We're a people that see miracles happening. And let me just tell you, there are miracles that happen. There are miracles of provision in this church that none of you know about, and yet God still keeps doing them. You see, I believe God wants to grow us to become a people that will influence Harlow because we're a people that step out in faith. Not rooted in whether we think it's possible or not. Rooted in what we know God has said to us. Rooted in what we know of his personality and who he is. And that is what we've been doing with this Hill Climbing for Beginners series, or, or rather theme for the year. Think about it, the beginning of the year. Let's see if you can, I'm not going to ask you, I'm going to tell you, but see if you can remember, at the beginning of the year we talked about preparation. And we talked about getting ready, knowing what's ahead, and thinking about it, prepping, understanding what it is to be in the kingdom of God. The second thing that we looked at was keeping on. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Recognizing that sometimes this walk that we walk with God is not always easy. Actually, that theme has, for me anyway, has just been all the way through, recognizing the realities. Then we looked at climb every mountain. Those mountains of fear and faith and unity and prayer. Those mountains that we face. Those things that we have to confront that sometimes feel like they defeat us, but we keep climbing. Why? Because we started out in preparation. We started looking at who, who was leading us. We put on the equipment that we needed. We didn't give up and we kept pressing on. You see how it all fits together. And then we had the Sermon on the Mount. That was another thing we looked at. What it is to be part of the kingdom of God. You know, the character of those, of those who are part of God's kingdom and then we come to this wonderful series <laughs> where we've dealt with some really gritty subjects some tough stuff and, we're, and we've again all the way through what we've sought to do is hear God's word allow God to challenge us and allow us to grow as Psalm 23 puts it even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I feel no evil even though we will go through stuff. And today's topic is no different. Today's topic, bereavement and grief. There's a good subject, isn't it? Build us up, eh? Bereavement and grief. It's not easy to prepare. Let me just say, I'm, I'm going to do things differently this morning. There's no PowerPoint. I'm just going to preach to you because I don't feel like I've got it all sewn up. I I've got all the answers. I haven't got all the scriptures. I haven't got everything you need to go through grief and bereavement. I really haven't. And I have struggled. I have struggled to just sit and listen to God and hear him. That doesn't mean God hasn't been speaking. It just means formulating my thinking has been so difficult through this time. And I just felt, no, the Lord just, I just felt the Lord say, no, don't. Just write down what I want you to say. And just share it. So listen, if you need the scriptures that I quote, I will gladly give you my notes if you want them and see if you can understand them or not. Um, but I will give you the scriptures and you can look for yourself and see. 
The problem is death, bereavement, grief. It's not easy to prepare for. It's not easy to prepare a talk, but it's equally not easy to hear. I mean, I don't suppose you came in here thinking, oh, yes, great, yeah. If you knew that we were going to talk about bereavement and, and death, you know, <laughs> yeah, I want to hear that. <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard because actually, I think in our society, we don't prepare, our, we, we're not prepared really to deal with it. We're very good at hiding it. We're very good at sanitizing it. We're very good at passing over the responsibility for it to those who are professionals in the field. But we're not used to dealing with it. We don't have to in the same way that our forefathers, our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents had to deal with it. We're so blessed to be living in this age where so much has been provided, where so much knowledge has come together. But I still think it's difficult to hear because I don't think we're ready. But I think it is something that we need to because, you know, some of us are already facing it. And on that, I want to just pause. I want us to pray. You know, Mick and Gloria, Barry is ran there at the moment. They are facing this. And it's not just Mick and Gloria that are facing this. It's all their kids. It's a long, drawn-out process. It's tough. I have experience of similar thing happening within my family to my son-in-law and just going through it really, really, really shook him. So let's just pray. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we come to you. We have sung this morning some victorious songs. We have declared some amazing truths. And I believe that, Lord, that is the hope that you want to put in our hearts today when we think about death, when we think about grief, when we think about bereavement. But I want, we want to lift, 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 lift to you right now Mick and Gloria and Barry and Lord, those conversations that as Barry's there, I pray that you'll give him wisdom. I pray that you'll give him anointing, Father God. None of us, when we go in to help somebody in this situation, feel like we know it all or we've got the answers or anything. We're always dependent upon you and I pray that you'll pour your spirit upon Barry, Lord. But I pray also for Mick and I pray also for Gloria. I thank you that they know you. I thank you that their hearts are looking to you in this situation. I thank you that they know what is going to happen. I thank you that they are yours, that they are born again and their eternal salvation is secure and their destination is secure, Lord. I thank you for all those things, but I pray that you will help them through this period of time leading up to and beyond when Mick goes home to be with you in glory. So Lord, we just lift them to you right now and we thank you that you are meeting with them now as we pray for them in your name. Amen. See, the thing is, death, bereavement, grief are something that we will all face. All of us will face that, unless the Lord comes. And as I've said before, my father spent his whole life telling me that he didn't think he was going to see death. He thought the Lord would come before and that he would go to glory. And he always then would bracket that with, and I will meet up with, my, with those that have gone before and we will go to glory together. We will go through it. We will go through grief. We will face it because it's a fact of life. And we can't get around it unless the Lord comes. My intention for this morning isn't to cover everything. Not possible. Actually, I really don't need to. Because 
That's the job of this. We look after, look out for, encourage, build up, support, are there for each other. Barry is there now. We are praying for Barry. Those of you know Mick and Gloria, you're there for them. See, it's not all about the sermon, the preach, the teach, the list of things to do, the list of scriptures to have. It's about being there and allowing God, by his Holy Spirit, to use you and me in these really difficult situations. And I'm going to have an opportunity, Sharon's going to have an opportunity just to share a little bit of testimony right at the end, and I will as well, but can I just say that's part of what has seen Sharon and I through what we've been going through over this period of time. I want us to remind us of the wonderful promises that we have in Jesus this morning. Really, that's it. And that is why I started with those two scriptures at the beginning. They, I believe, are the foundation of everything. Everything that I want to say this morning, more than that, I believe that they're the foundation of everything that I believe and everything I stand on. Everything that I I rest my life upon. They're the foundation of everything. John 19.30, Jesus said, it is finished. Incredible words, finished. That word finished, when you look it up, when you look at it in the Greek, it means paid for. The debt is cleared. Paid in full. It is finished. Jesus said, it is paid in full. And he gave up the ghost. But that second passage says, oh glory, why are you looking among the dead for the living? Wow. Two scriptures. The crucifixion is historically so, so very important. And we'll come back to that in a minute. And listen, if I'm teaching you to suck eggs, if you know all this stuff already, then praise God. That means you know the Lord and that your, your salvation is secure and your hope is secure. I just want to encourage you to think about it again and to absorb it and to look at it and allow God to challenge you of how that can make you live your life a different way. If you don't know that this morning, I want to encourage you to talk to us afterwards because you can know that. You can know that this morning. You can know the absolute peace and the presence of God in your life in the middle of all sorts of crazy stuff. The resurrection, you see, not only is the death of Christ so important, the resurrection is at the heart of it as well. Because without the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross is just another execution. It's just another poor sap who died thinking he was doing some good. There's been many who've died on crosses. There's been many who've given their lives up for others. But there's only been one Jesus who gave his life up. Why? Because he's the only one who raised from the dead. And yes, I know you can argue with me and say, oh, well, what about those Jesus raised from the dead? What about people who've been prayed for who've come back from the dead? Yeah, they're all back there again, actually. Their bodies have gone. They are no more physically. Jesus is alive today. That's what we've been singing. He is alive right now in glory. Jesus is alive. My Savior is alive. 
It is the foundation of our faith. It is the security on which we build everything. So why then? Why? Why is the resurrection such an important matter to us? Jesus said this. He said, I will be raised from the dead. If you look in Mark 9.31, the second half of that, that verse there, it's, he, it says, he said to them, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will raise from the dead. Clear, bold, straightforward statement. No dodging around. Not you might think or I will or I will be raised from the dead. Look again at Matthew 16.21. It says this, that from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. It wasn't just this one thing that Jesus just said it at some point and then it was a passing instance. It says here, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. He taught them. Jesus promised many things. If you think about it, Jesus promised so many things. He promised us a place in heaven with him. He promised to prepare a, a place for us. He promised to send us the Holy Spirit. He promised that he would rise from the dead. But, Corinthians 1, 15, 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, wow, this really is telling it, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That's what Paul said. Bottom line, if Jesus didn't rise, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, then nothing he said can be taken. Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, it's been out for a really long time now, but there's some good stuff in there, and he says the resurrection is either one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted on the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact in history. You can never just think that Jesus was a good man who said some nice things, because if I started telling you that I was going to be killed tomorrow and three days later I was going to come back to life, you justifiably would think I was a bit nuts. That's what Jesus did. And he taught it. And he spoke about it with them regularly. Josh McDowell goes on, if it never happened, Christianity collapses into mythology and billions of people have been deceived. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 5.17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And he finishes with, But if it did happen, it authenticates everything that Jesus did and said. The good news is that Christ did rise from the dead. Spoiler alert, yes. And that changes everything. Let me just cover this. Because I know when we start talking to people sometimes, especially if you're having an internet conversation with somebody or you're having it online, they always throw these questions. And we were talking, we went, Sharon and I went to the Heart for Harlow prayer meeting last, 
last, uh, last Sunday in the evening. And the schools are talking about um, having a, a relationship with the churches to say, are there any people within our church who would come and sit with one of the teachers in our religious education class and allow the children to just ask you any question about your faith that they wanted to? Inside I was going, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. Because actually the way the syllabus has been written at the moment is that there is opportunity. There are certain questions that are put into that syllabus, certain questions that those children need to answer. And the best way for them to answer those questions is to ask Christians what they actually think. What an opportunity to share the gospel. Are we the sort of people that can stand and do that? So, did the resurrection really happen? Well, some say that there's no evidence for it. Let me just give you a couple of statistics and we'll move on. I'm not going to pause a long time. And again, you may have heard a lot of this, but on the other hand, you may not. And sometimes it's just good to be reminded of it. There are approximately 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, that number might be the, the, the particular place I got this. That's, that's what they were saying. A little bit, little bit direct, I would have said somewhere in the region of 5,800. And the New Testament, in addition to this, there is another 10,000 Latin manuscripts. And also on top of that, there's probably about another 9,300 manuscripts in other languages. There is a phenomenal amount of documentary evidence to the scriptures that we have. And the majority of it fits together. There are some discrepancies between them, but the majority, the main things, the stuff that's there, all backs each other up. Now there's another thought here. Most ancient manuscripts... The big ones that people receive and accept as being authoritative rely on between two, not 200, not 2,000, two and 600 documents. And yet within Christianity, within the New Testament, you've got probably heading up towards 20,000 individual, maybe more than that, documents saying and agreeing with each other so at such a good degree. But there's another issue with it. Most of those two to 600 documents are between 500 and 1100 years old. So they are between 500 and 1100 years after the event that they're talking about. Guess how much room there is between the scriptures and when they were talked about? Less than 100. For some. So don't anybody say there is no documentary evidence. There is, there is no evidence. There is absolutely evidence out there. First point. Second point, they will argue with you and say that Jesus didn't really die. I'm not going to go into that full explanation, but you just think about it for yourself and you have a look at people like Josh McDowell and there are, there are others that, that can show the arguments behind that. And most of it comes directly from Scripture. This scripture that we've just established is quite authoritative because it has a good history and has a good backing, also shows us and tells us an awful lot about what really, what really happened and how the disciples worked. There is so much information there. Jesus really did die. It wasn't the wrong tomb. The disciples did not steal his body. All these theories can be well disproved and also you know, argued against. And here's the thought. The disciples, and, and hundreds of others as well, they believed they had personally seen, touched, eaten with, walked with, talked with the risen Jesus. 
and then they died for that testimony. What sort of people will concoct a lie and then happily die for it? It doesn't make sense. It's not credible. Let me just say this finally on this. The disciples didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. We believe Jesus rose from the dead at one level. We, we believe it. Yes, I know it. I know it because of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know it because I have a relationship with God, and so I know it. But the disciples didn't have to go through that process. They were there. They were there. They saw him. They touched him. They breathed on him. They put their fingers into the holes. They ate fish with him. For goodness sake, what a barbecue. They sat on the beach and they had fried fish. I've often dreamt of that, funnily enough. You know, I've, I'll tell you, the, the times that I've sat there and just dreamed about what it would be like to sit on the beach with Jesus and eat fish. Oh, the fish bit would be really good, but Jesus would be even better, I promise you. Acts 1.3 says, During the 40 days after he, Jesus, suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from, the, from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talk to them about the kingdom of God. I want to labor this a little bit. I want to hammer this because actually our grief, our bereavement should be shaped by the reality of the truth that we're talking about right now. Somebody, I, I, this is not my work, I, I, I cribbed it off of somebody else. Somebody has come up, come up with the eight scriptures documenting Jesus' appearance before he went to heaven. And they've actually linked them to Jesus' victory over something. Just listen to this. Mark 16. Appeared to Mary, and that showed victory over despair. Just imagine Mary at the tomb, absolutely broken. The one that she thought was going to fix everything had gone and dead. And then the second one in Matthew 28, the other woman at the tomb, victory over death. And you know that story where Mary thinks Jesus has died and then she's even crying and then she talks to Jesus and doesn't recognize him and thinks he's the, 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 I just love that story. She's talking to Jesus and she doesn't recognize it because she is so convinced that he's gone, that he's not going to come back, that he isn't there. And Jesus, to get her attention, just simply says her name. Wow. He appeared to those on the road to Emmaus, depicting victory over confusion. Luke 24. He appeared to the disciples who were hiding victory over fear. Luke 24. He appeared to the disciples plus Thomas, victory over doubt. Mark 16. To the disciples and Peter who denied him, victory over failure. John 21. To the disciples... And he gave the great commission that drives us to this very day. Victory over other powers, Matthew 28. And finally, he appeared to 500. 500. That wasn't a hallucination. Victory over all things, Luke 24. What does it mean in the context of bereavement? What does the resurrection mean to me? Jesus' resurrection is about salvation and the salvation, the work that he did on the cross, salvation for, whole of, for us and for the whole of 
of creation. But it's more than that. It's about victory over death. It's not just about being forgiven, but it's about eternal life. Paul puts it this way. Romans 5.12 When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And then he goes on. Verse 14. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wondrous grace and the gift of forgiveness to many through this one man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. And then he says, verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? We respond. We respond by grieving. It is not wrong to grieve. In fact, it's important that we do. When we lose somebody, we grieve. What did the shortest verse in the Bible say? Jesus wept. He was grieving. And yet he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus was touched. Jesus felt the grief of losing somebody. He saw the grief and the pain in those around Lazarus who had lost him. He was touched by that. No matter that as Christ, as, as, the, as the Christ, as the Son of God, he was going to bring him back to life. But he knew that. If Jesus could grieve, then it's right that we grieve. But there is a wonderful scripture in Thessalonians that says this. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Not that you will not grieve, but you will not grieve like those who have no hope. And really, that is what I want to say this morning. Because of the cross, and because of the empty tomb, and because Jesus' promises are true and amen and can be relied upon, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And I've been there. I don't mean I've grieved in that way. I mean I've been to those funerals where people are grieving and there is no hope and it is painful, it is awful, it is so destructive. My brother married. He was only married for a matter of months and he died. And his wife was utterly, utterly, utterly grief-stricken. But she had no hope. 
she did not know the Lord. When we lose somebody very close, Michelle, will you come up and just give some testimony a minute? When we lose somebody very close, yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve with hope. Sharon. So I'm just going to share um, <clears throat> some things to give thanks for. <clears throat> um, how the Lord has helped me as I've walked through the valley, as it were. Um, so the last seven weeks, um, I've kind of been yeah, walking through the valley. Uh, my mum died seven weeks ago. And I just want to say that I'd always feared my mum going first before my dad. And I, I've always prayed, Lord, please take my dad first. Um, you know, I don't think he can live without my mum. They were inseparable. They were, uh, even in uh, their mental illness, uh, they were always together holding hands. Uh, if he, she went into another room, he would be saying, oh, where's Pauline, where's Pauline? When she went into hospital, he was crying constantly. So I, I always prayed and believed, I believed actually, that the Lord would take um, my dad first. Uh, and then suddenly it happened, and my mum died unexpectedly. And I said, why, Lord, why? And then I found myself in this like, deep valley of not just grieving for my mum, but trying to, well, I was grieving for my dad. He was in, you know, like what David just shared about um, his sister-in-law, yeah, um, my dad was just devastated. Um, he was not able to cope with the grief. He was, he was crying constantly. Um, he was distraught. And it was a horrible thing to see. And I was praying, Lord, please take my dad. Please take him. He, he can't live like this. And um, I felt the Lord speak to me. And I felt him say, I'm doing something in your dad. And I couldn't see anything at that point. But... I just said, okay, I just, just trust you, Lord, that you are doing something in him. And that even though we see the mental illness, we see the strange behavior, but inside I felt that, yeah, he is, was connecting with God. And but this distraught, um, this grief went on for three and a half weeks. Every time I visited him, he was crying. Every time I left, he was crying. And then after three and a half weeks, I visited him one day and no tears. He was just calm. And I was, I was amazed that, that what had happened, that the change in him. And then a few days after that, we had the funeral service, which was the celebration service of her life. And, um, and he was calm throughout that. Um, my daughter, Shana, was able to walk with him up to the coffin and he put his hand on the coffin, said goodbye. And he, would, he wasn't crumbling, he wasn't hysterical or anything like that. So, praise God, I, I could give thanks for that. Um, then uh, we had, had some more sort of sad news. About a week ago, uh, my dad was, um, uh, he was sectioned um, and uh, he was told he needed to go to a mental health unit and it could be anywhere in Essex. And this is because the home where he was weren't able to handle his, some of his behaviour. There wasn't the trained staff there. So I was then thinking, right, well, it, you know, that, yeah, Wherever a bed comes up, so it could be Chelmsford, Southend, Basildon, and there's no telling how long he would have to be there. It starts four weeks, but then it can build and just go on and on and on. So I was praying, we were praying, 
And praise God, the first bed that came up was in Epping. And that's what we were praying for because it's just down the road. So praise God, that's wonderful, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then another blessing, um, Paul Walker, which is my dad's pastor, he's a chaplain at, at Epping Hospital and he goes there regularly. Um, and he's obviously will be able to visit my dad. And also today, uh, half this afternoon, there's a, a little service that they do once a month. And um, if my dad has a carer with him all the time, he can he can actually go to that service. So praise God. That's another thing to thank God for. So just want to close by really just saying how God has helped me. Uh, Psalm 34:18 says, "The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and rescued those who are crushed in spirit." And I just want to share that I have experienced the Lord's closeness in the grief. Um, I can't explain it, but it's not until you're actually going through it that you just sense the Lord coming really, really close. Um, and, um, yeah, the, uh, Psalm 23, verse 4 says, um, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so I just see the rod of the, the Jesus, the shepherd, it's like his authority and his power and his defense. And I've sensed that. And his staff, his kindness, his guidance, how he's guided his closeness. And again, Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. And again, there's that promise that he will heal emotional pain. The the pain I have now is a lot less than what it was. And you you just sense yourself walking through the valley. You know, the shepherd is with you, Jesus is, is with you, and he's walking you through it. And so you're not where you were at the beginning. And, so, and the final verse in Psalm 23, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's my hope and assurance of heaven where I know that I'll see my loved ones again that have died in the Lord. Yeah. Amen. So, my testimony, I'm not going to do a long one because our time is gone. But what I, what I can say is I've done this eight times. I've buried my father and my mother. I've actually done the funerals for my father my mother my, my grandmother, my aunt. I have been at other funerals, but I have dealt with that. I've, I, at least eight times within my family, I have grieved. I've grieved for close friends. One of them was Gary Knott when he passed away. I, can't, I cannot tell you how surprised I was how much I felt it. But what I can say, and why is this important? Because it's too late to wait until it starts happening when you're in the middle of it all, when you're going through that pain, when somebody has died and you're trying to sort yourself out, it's very hard for somebody to come up to you and say, oh, it will get better. You need to know this now. You need to root yourself in the promises of Scripture now so that when you face it, you have that strength to help you through. That is why I've done it the way I've done it this morning. That is why we're... Do you know, I was shaped by my sister's death. At the age of nine and a half, I stood, the coffin was there, and I stood here in front of the coffin. And they said, my dad had asked me if I wanted to say anything at my sister's funeral. I said, yes. And it shaped my life. It has shaped my life to this day. I sang, wait for it, and some of you will know the chorus, and most of you may not. Joy, 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 with joy my heart is singing. Old chorus. Why did I sing that chorus at my sister's funeral? Because I knew that if I went to heaven, I would see my sister again. Why? How did I know? Well, because my dad told me. 
I don't mean my heavenly father. (laughs) My earthly father told me that. I then decided that I needed to go to heaven so I could see my sister. So I gave my life to the Lord at nine, ten. And God's grace through the years has taken me on a journey. Today I'm absolutely certain I will see all those that have gone before. We will meet again. Why? Because over the years I faced some of these things that we're talking about this morning and in my settled it between me and the Lord and that took me through. And that is what I'm asking you this morning. If you need my scriptures, you can have them. If you want my notes, you can have them. I just want you to go away. I want you to think about it. I want you to have at least spent some time with the Lord and sorted out the realities and the truth of the amazing gift that God gives us through his death and resurrection on the cross. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you have done so much for us. Thank you that you have given us so much in what you did when you came. You, Lord God, came and saved your creation. Father God, we give you thanks for that. Now, Lord, I pray. Yes, this may not have been the most joyous subject to look at, but Lord, there is a sense of joy there. My nine-and-a-half-year-old standing there declaring, joy, 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 with joy my heart is ringing because I knew that one day I would see my sister again. I pray that simple faith, Lord. We will see our loved ones again. It is not the end of everything. Christ rose from the dead. It really happened. So I will rise with him in that last day. Father, I want to thank you for that and I pray that that will be a truth in all our hearts that will keep us strong when we face these problems. In your name, amen.